I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. In this podcast, we explore America's crisis in civic education. Too many people today don't understand the history and principles that make us Americans. So we're here to explore America's history and principles and what they mean for today, what we can learn from them, and how we can restore them to their rightful place in our hearts and minds. We think it's the most important thing we can do as Americans to keep our experiment in self-government alive. So thank you for joining us in this important conversation. You can learn more about Ashbrook and the work we're doing with students, teachers, and citizens at ashbrook.org. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of The American Idea. Today we're going to be talking about, I think, a probably an unusual subject for this podcast, um, but not an unimportant one, a really interesting and important topic, the American Western. And for that conversation, we're joined today by uh, the oldest of old friends of mine <laughs> <laughs> and an old friend, of course, of the Ashbrook Center. You know him. You love him. Professor Chris Burkett. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I can tell already. <laughs> <laughs> um, the American Western. Uh, you actually teach a class on that for the Ashbrook Scholars. Is that right? I do. Yeah. I teach an, an undergrad version and a, and a a version of the course for our master's students and our master's of American history and government program. So, um, so you teach it, you, 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 you study it, you think about it, the American Western, I think some people are going to be surprised who listen to our podcast wait, there's a course on the American Western. Why does it deserve scholarly attention? Yeah, that's great. The reason I give at the beginning of the class is, really good westerns there's some really good westerns um there's some westerns that are just sort of entertaining and fun to watch but then there's some really thoughtful ones by really good directors and writers and they can teach us a lot about um america they can teach us a lot about what it means to be american and sort of what the american mind what the american dream what the american character is and and i think this is intentional on the part of some great writers and and filmmakers so so I think that's one thing we want to get when I teach the courses. What can these particular Westerns that we talk about teach us about America? The, the Western as a genre um, of, of literature and of film, probably of literature first, I would imagine. Uh, where does it start? How does it get going? Um, Mark Twain, by the way, I think is the inventor of the Western. <laughs> but um, he was writing um, in the 1830s or 40s, I believe, uh, about his adventures on a trip to California. But it's really um, an author named Owen Wister, who was a friend of Theodore Roosevelt's, a very close personal friend of, of President Roosevelt's, who I think elevated the genre of the Western to the level of serious literature. I mean, before that, you could you could read, you know, these sort of dime store novels of, of famous tales of the West and sort of the cartoonish and caricatures of, of these great Western heroes. But Owen Wister in his 1902 novel, The Virginian, elevated the Western to, to something that was really literature, that was really um, interesting and thoughtful and well-written. That's a great book, by the way. And 
um, I, ha I have my students read this in my class because Worcester really is building this novel um, on the idea that in the West at the time, um, when the novel takes place, what you find there is sort of what America was like at its very founding, at its beginning. In the time of the founding, around 1776, America is kind of a, it's a new place, right? It's it, maybe all of America in a certain sense is a frontier. And we have to build from scratch. We have to build communities. We have to frame governments. We have to make laws. We have to find how to live in this new land, this new country. And the West provided an opportunity for Americans to go and be American in the most fundamental sense. That is, they had to display the courage, uh, the other virtues that are expected of people in republics and free societies. Um, they had to learn to, to work together uh, for survival and for progress. And so in this novel by Owen Wister, the, the main character uh, goes west to prove that he's worth something, that he's capable of, um, of, of being, um, uh, of meriting honor, of meriting praise. He wants to you know, build a career for himself and build a life for himself and his future wife. So, and in the process, he has to deal with a lot of uh, disreputable characters. Uh, and there's a famous gunfight scene at the end of the book, which sort of becomes the, the model for all the great Western films. But uh, can I read a passage, by the way, Jeff? Uh, do you yeah, mind? I'd love to hear this. There's one great passage, and I think this summarizes the, the point I was just trying to make. Um, and this comes sort of in the middle of the book. It's relatively short. So again, this is Owen Wister in The Virginian. Um, he writes, it was through the Declaration of Independence that we Americans acknowledged the eternal inequality of man. For by it, we abolished a cut and dried aristocracy. We had seen little men artificially held up in high places and great men artificially held down in low places. And our own justice loving hearts abhorred this violence to human nature. Therefore, we decreed that every man should thenceforth have equal liberty to find his own level. So uh, again, this is right at the sort of in the middle of this book. And it's a, there's something very American about the West because it allows us to be free. And freedom means we are all able to rise to a certain level of equality, if I can borrow a phrase from Abraham Lincoln for a second, right? As opposed to the old world aristocratic ways where if you were born into a particular family, you were a great man, and if you were born a commoner, you were forever, you know, low. Um, in, in America, the Declaration of Independence says everybody gets uh, the chance to pursue happiness. It means opportunity. It means uh, the freedom to, to prove your worth, to prove your merit, to use your talents, your virtues. And that's what equality means to Owen Wister. And the West gives people that opportunity to prove that, so. And I take it just by the word Western, right? It's, I love that phrase, the equal liberty to find your own level. Um, I take it by the word Western that by the time we get to the early 20th century, we've got people thinking that's not so easy in the East anymore. Right. The East is a little bit more too much like Europe in some way. We got to find this out in the West. Right. And that was what motivated Owen Wister to write his novel. He thought the East, the original 13 states, some of the earlier expansion states had become, you know, sort of stagnant. They had become sort of European. And Owen Wister was writing this novel in 1902 after the U.S. Census Bureau. And uh, I think it was the 1890 census sort of declared the West was gone. There was no more West. It was all sort of settled. And so this was a romance uh, when Owen Wister wrote this novel. He calls it a, a, a romance about the West. That is, that, that once... Or 
you know, that land of opportunity and freedom, it's not there anymore the way it used to be. So it's a kind of sad tale about a time and a place that is now gone and passed, at least according to Wister. So, but the West isn't all opportunity and freedom. Every Western has bad guys. Yeah. Every Western has what you might call ambiguous characters. Every Western right. has good guys, some of whom are competent and some of whom are not very competent. Right. And I'm thinking about the films and literature that develop after 1902. To my mind, probably the most famous of those early Western directors is John Ford. Yes. Talk about John Ford and his approach to the Western, his thinking of the importance of the Western, and maybe your thought on what you think John Ford's most important Western is. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I love John Ford's films. Uh, he's very, very thoughtful, very well-read well and well-educated uh, man. In fact, I know, we know for a fact that he read a lot of the same great texts that we focus on here at Ashbrook in our classes and our, our seminars. And um, so John Ford, by the way, loved America, but it wasn't a kind of blind patriotism. It was a very enlightened and informed love of the, the, the virtues of this country. Um, his, he, was the, he was the son of um, immigrants from Ireland. And so I think he, that gave him a, an even deeper appreciation of what a land of freedom uh, looked like and, and was. Um, but John Ford, um, very thoughtful, very well-read author. Uh, just a couple of quick points about Ford, if you don't mind. Um, he was, uh, um, he, he's to this day still holds the most Oscars for director. And none of them are for his Westerns. Really? That, <laughs> Not a single Western. <laughs> no, uh, you know, how, how Green is Your Valley, Grapes of Wrath, all, you know. He, he directed a lot of great films, but none of it, he was never, uh, he never got an Oscar for his, uh, his Westerns. But that said, his Westerns are what he's known for. Um, John Ford um, uh, understood the, you know, sort of the problems very well in American history, but also the great blessings of liberty that were afforded to Americans in this country and felt, I think, pretty clearly that, that those things were worth preserving. Uh, one of the things that motivated Ford to really focus on Westerns was his experience in World War II, uh, in which he was, uh, he was working for the OSS, Office of Strategic uh, Services. And, and he was also filming a lot of the major battles, including the, the Battle of Midway uh, during World War II. And his experiences there led him to see very clearly just how close the world had come to losing civilization and all the good things that come with, with order and liberty. And he began making a lot of Westerns, especially after he came back from World War II. Um, but maybe his most famous example, since you asked, his most famous film um, is um, um, a, fil a film that was not filmed in Monument Valley, where most of his Westerns were made. This was actually a film that he made on a soundstage uh, in California. And that film is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which I have behind me a little... I don't know if you can see it. I've got a movie poster. Oh, yeah, there's the movie poster. That a, for, a former student and friend gave to me and, and, and had framed. So, Tell us and this a little bit about the man who shot Liberty Valance. It's an interesting title to begin with. Yeah. Uh, how much should I spoil? <laughs> Do I want to spoil <laughs> Should we it? say spoiler alert? <laughs> spoiler alert, yeah. Uh, the title, the, the character in the title, Liberty Valance, I'll just say this. He is not the good guy. That is not John Wayne's character which immediately ought to sort of make you notice or ask, why is the bad guy in the film? And one of the, one of the greatest villains of all time, by the way, in any film is Liberty Valance. But why is he named Liberty? 
Um, and John, John Ford loved to sort of use characters, especially in this film, as, as sort of metaphors or analogies for ideas or, or certain types of views on things. So this is a great film, 1962 film, I believe, and it's filmed in black and white at a time when nobody made black and white films anymore. Uh, people thought, John Ford, you're crazy, but he did it anyway. And I think the, the black and white nature of the film plays nicely into the subtle difficulties of figuring out who the real hero is. It turns out in most Westerns, as you know, Jeff, right? There's the, the stereotype is good guy wears the white hat, bad guy wears the black hat. So you know who the good guy and the bad guy are. In this film, it's not quite clear who the hero is. I mean, the bad guy is Liberty Valance, but there are a number of candidates for, for the good guy. And so I think John Ford is making a joke here by giving us a black and white film about uh, uh, in which it's not that black and white who the hero is. So Mm. Um, Tell us a little bit about the story of of the man who shot Liberty Valance. What's it about? Okay. Why is it, to your mind, um, illustrating or probing American themes? Well, I think in the larger sense, the film has three main characters. Liberty Valance uh, is the villain, and liberty to him means um, the freedom to do whatever he wants, and he doesn't think law and order is important. And I think in Ford's mind, he represents uh, sort of totalitarian, authoritarian type of governments or leaders, um, right? They just want to do whatever they want. Um, he's a tyrant. And then the two, two of the candidates for hero are Jimmy Stewart's uh, character named Ransom Stoddard, who is a lawyer. And he goes to this imaginary town, Shinbone, somewhere in the West, which was invented. The town was just in, uh, made up. And um, he finds it a wild, lawless place. There's no law. There is no government. There are, uh, there's a sheriff, but he doesn't really do much. He's afraid of the, of, of the bad guys. And Jimmy Stewart's character wants to establish law and order. And he wants to do it formally, like through a constitution and creating a government that, that actually functions the way a government should. And then there's John Wayne's character, whose name is Tom Donovan. And he, he's a good guy. He, he's the tough guy in a way, and he looks out for the citizens of Shinbone and protects them, but he also doesn't want government. He wants to be free to be this sort of, you know, individual, this rugged individual who does what he, he wants, he can do what he wants to do. Um, and he doesn't feel like he needs government because he's the tough guy. So it's this interesting, in a, in a sort of analogous way, analogous way, it's an interesting tale about is government important, right? What, what does good government look like? Why do we need it? Why do we need law and order if we do need it? Uh, and then, of course, John Ford is concerned with how do we get it? And he shows us in this just how bad this, this town of Shinbone is and how lawless it is. He starts to show us why, why government can be good if it's done in the right way, right? Government, as we know, can be overreaching, but, but if done well, government and the, and the protections and the laws that it affords can be beneficial to human beings and allow us to prosper and thrive, right? And so at the end of the film, the theme is sort of now that, again, I don't want to, spoiler alert here, right? But at the, by the end of the film, now that um, one of the good guys has won, I won't say which one, uh, one of the good guys has prevailed and the bad guy has been taken care of, now progress can come to this little town of Shinbo. So in a larger sense, I think this is John Ford's sort of really entertaining way of getting us to appreciate or think about why or ask ourselves, is good government worth having and, and 
preserving? And secondly, how do you get it? That's the difficulty. Ah, right, right. Challenge of establishing good government. And it reminds us of the founding in that sense, right? Right. And in fact, it's interesting to me because isn't there a scene in that movie, um, I don't think I'm giving too much away here, where children are in in school and they're reciting a particular document. Yeah, yeah. The best scene in the whole movie, in my opinion, makes me cry every time I watch it. I tear up. So uh, the Jimmy Stewart's character is trying to bring law and order to Shinbone, but he also thinks that the way to do that is to start with education. So he starts a school. It's the first school west of some river. And in the school, he is teaching. Um, he's got young children um, of, of all sort of backgrounds. Uh, he's got Mexican-American children. He's got, uh, you know, um, um, children of the, of the locals. Uh, he even gets ranchers uh to to come to school and and then one of the main characters is um we think he's like a former slave whose name is pompey in the in the in the film and um jimmy stewart's character who's the teacher in this classroom scene says um, let's talk about the fundamental law of the land it can be amended from time to time and pompey this former slave stands up and he starts talking instead about instead about talking of talking about the constitution he starts talking of the declaration of independence and he starts reciting it from memory. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created, and he pauses right there, and somebody says, equal, and, he's, and Pompey says, I'm sorry, I just plumb forgot about that part. And Jimmy Stewart's character says, it's okay, Pompey, a lot of people forget about that part. I mean, just brilliant. And as Pompey is saying this, over his shoulder on the back wall is a, is a portrait of Abraham Lincoln looking at him, you know, as he's, he's trying to remember this equality. So that's the way John Ford would would remind us as Americans of the things that we traditionally have held important and also a way to remind us uh, that I think we still need to live up to those. Uh, we have to constantly work to live up to those ideas and those those principles. So it's a beautiful it's scene. Well, look, so it's obviously a complex film, right? This is why our, our listeners, if they haven't seen it, need to see it. And if they see it, they probably need to see it again yeah. <laughs> and now look at it with these deeper themes in mind. What is freedom? How do you how do you get a government that is effective but that respects freedom? What's the basis of progress? What happens if society goes that direction in progress? What happens to the old characters that were there before and really aren't part of this new society? Um, I mean, that's a, a lot of really interesting questions. But it yeah. does seem to me, having watched the movie, that in the end, it is an affirmation of American principles. Yes, I, I believe it is. And, and particularly that equal liberty to find your own level. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned this. It's an affirmation of, of the good aspects of America and what America has stood for. Um, but it also reminds us of the challenges that we as Americans face in trying to live up to those principles and preserving those principles. So it's not an easy task. In the end of the film, I think it is. Again, what I like about John Ford's approach in these films is he's, he's not lecturing at you necessarily and saying, this is, you know, this is what's good and good and good and good. He has a nice, subtle way and entertaining way of revealing those things to you without having to be sort of, um, you know, right in your face about it. Uh, you have to think a little bit about these things, but you see it. But he also reminds us that these things don't come, they come at a price, at a cost at sometimes uh, in some ways. And the fountain, the you might say the founders of this new city of Shinbone, the ones who make it a good, decent place to live with law and order, they all lose something in the end. 
they have to sacrifice something. And again, it points us to the sacrifices that the American founders made, right? You recall at the end of the Declaration of Independence, they pledged their lives, their, their, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, right? And in this film, it also reminds us of the sacrifices that, that again, the, the main characters of, of this film make in order to make Shinbone a good, decent place for human beings to live. So it comes at a price, and it calls for courage. And this film reminds us of those things in all sorts of interesting ways. So you've got a film that's really got entertaining, as you say, uh, but complex, affirming sort of of America, the American mind, as you put it, American character, American principles. I'm thinking of contemporary Westerns. A lot of them, the ones that we would watch today or that we would have watched in the last few decades, they don't have that same affirmation. They are not af always affirming of America and the American character, the American experience, the American principles. They're not just critical of it or critical of our shortfallings of it. Sometimes they call into question the whole thing. Yeah. Where where does that turn start happening in the American Western? Yeah. Another Thanks, Jeff. That's a great question. And um, I want to point to maybe Sam Peckinpah. Uh, who is a great director. I think some of our listeners won't know who that is. Oh, Sam Peckinpah. He, he was a fantastic director. Um, very critically acclaimed. He made some great Westerns um, in the, in the sixties and seventies. And, um, but, but Sam Peckinpah is one of those directors who also, well, let's do it this way. So Sam Peckinpah is making Westerns at a time when a lot of people in America are questioning whether or not our sort of traditional principles and beliefs are, are, are not only worth preserving, but even good, right? They look at what's going on at the world, in the world at the time, and what you've got going on at home is, you know, domestically is, um, you know, um, assassinations, JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. You see the problems with the civil rights uh, movement in the, in, in the United States. The Cold War is going on. Vietnam is getting into full swing. And in that in that period of the 1960s, when there's sort of all this social and political turmoil and upheaval, questioning of things, uh, Sam Peckinpah, the director, I think maybe his most famous film was The Wild Bunch, really reflects that that questioning of the goodness uh, of of America and whether or not America is worth preserving. And I think, um, insofar as his film The Wild Bunch is uh, a statement on that, the answer that Peckinpah gives is no, it's not worth saving. Everything is corrupt. Just burn everything and let it all collapse. And it's not worth saving. Um, and in that film, what you see is Peck and Paul creates, I don't want to overdo this too much, but he really sort of creates this idea that Westerns, there are no good guys anymore. There are no heroes. Again, in the Wild Bunch, not to give too much away, the Wild Bunch is a gang of thieves. They're, they're, they're the closest thing you get to heroes in this film. But they're thieves and they're murderers and they do all sorts of horrible things. And in the end, the best thing they can do is sort of go down in a blaze of glory, getting vengeance on a Mexican general um, in, in, in Texas or in, in northern Mexico and, and die honorably by getting revenge uh, on this particular character. And so I think Peck and Paul ushers in a, an era of Westerns in which um, that pessimism, that almost, I want to say nihilism, that's a little heavy, is reflected in the idea that there really are no good people in the world. Everybody's corrupt. Everybody's bad. And the best you can do is just sort of 
die honorably by exacting vengeance on whoever did wrong to you. You see that in a lot of the spaghetti westerns, the Clint Eastwood films, which I love, by the way. They're really entertaining, but they're, but you know, everybody, I mean, you kind of root for Clint Eastwood's characters, but, uh, but you know, they're just no good guys. Um, and I think Sam Peckinpah established that kind of Western. Some people have said he sort of killed the Western, uh, but um, um, he certainly rejected the John Ford approach, which ended by sort of reaffirming the, the basic goodness, the fundamental goodness of America. And that carried over into a lot of films. Uh, even in the sort of contemporary times, uh, a lot of Westerns, The Unforgiven, for example, uh, which is, a, again, a great film. But if you watch that film starring Clint Eastwood, um, you know, uh, he's not really a hero. Um, you know, he's not, in fact, as he goes on, people note that he gets he, he was a murderer. Uh, William Money, I think, is his name. And they say that yeah. he killed every living thing that ever walked or crawled on the earth. Yeah, yeah. Right. He, but then the some, lawman, Gene Hackman's character, isn't a lot better in many no, ways. No, he's corrupt. Yeah, that's that Sam Peckinpah tradition. Government's corrupt. Everybody's corrupt, right? <laughs> so it's so pessimistic. Entertaining, but pessimistic. Um, and I, I, at my age, I need to watch things that are a little more um, uh, uh, positive about human beings uh, and human nature. I, uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll watch these things, but I don't necessarily want to watch them again because I don't want to dwell on the negative so much. But Because mm. so. the question is, is there still a place in the, the American Western for a hero? For a guy, a fundamentally good guy, even if he has flaws, he's fundamentally good trying to do the right thing and trying to do the right thing in what we might call an American way. Yeah, I think there's still, I've been waiting for an actual Western to come back. And I, I'm sure there have been some in the last 10 years or so that have tried to do this nothing that's really big or blockbuster. I've been waiting for somebody to bring that back. Now, what's interesting, Jeff, is you find that spirit of the Western hero in other genres, um, but not so much in Westerns, interestingly enough, but you find, you sort of find new ways in which the Western and, and the things that Westerns used to do in- Yeah, what do you mean by other genres? Well, uh, I, I, I'll give you two quick examples. If you've ever seen the series Justified, uh, which I loved. I thought it was sure. a fantastic Ray, show. Raylan Givens. Raylan Givens, yeah. Um, fantastic, yeah. He's essentially, I mean, he's he is a lawman in the lawless areas of Kentucky, right? Which is, even though it's not technically the West, it's like the West in that there's sort of local law, but not real government. And I think Raylan Givens is one of the great Western heroes, uh, even though it's not technically in the West. And it's interesting, that is based on that series Justified is based on a short story by an author named Elmore Leonard, who was a great author, El Elmore Leonard. I, I highly recommend him. And he started writing Westerns. So Elmore Leonard is one of the great Western authors of the 20th century, but then he started writing these crime stories, but he, he captured that spirit of the West in his, in his shows like Justified and others. So, uh, and then the other place, Jeff, interestingly enough that you find, the spirit of the Western, I think, is in sort of space Westerns, interestingly enough, starting with Star Trek. Wait, the original yeah, Star say, Trek. What do you mean by space Westerns? Yeah, well, the, the original Star Trek was a space Western, the original series of, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock and all these guys. If you ever watch that show, listen to the opening monologue, right? Space, the final frontier. So what you find in space in, in, in Westerns or in, in shows like Star Trek is 
again, there's no law, there's no government. It's it's um, a place where individuals have to display these these virtues, uh, you know, courage, self-reliance, cooperation, uh, but they also have to seek and fulfill justice, right? So uh, there have been some great science fiction films that are essentially Westerns in space. The most recent is uh, The Mandalorian, uh, which is a Star Wars spinoff. It is, oh, I mean, it yeah, is built as, yeah. as a Western in space. If you think about it, the main character is like a bounty hunter. And it's, it's, it takes place in the time between when the empire has collapsed and the new Republic is rising. So there's no, there's no structure or law to anything. And everybody's just sort of on their own. So you can find these, uh, you can find sort of the, the, the essence of, of, of Westerns in, in places like that and films and series like that. So. So why do you think the Western continues even if it's in the form of star trek or star wars and it's amazing now you pointed out i think think of the even the original star wars movie it's called a new hope yeah. right episode four and right. and Luke skywalker is sort of the hero uh and, and it's a set in a very western looking desert planet right yeah uh, it's fascinating why do you think even if the western genre itself no longer it's now in the strain of Peck and Paw, not in the strain of John Ford. Why do you think the Western continues to grab hold of people's imaginations? Because whether they're space Westerns or whether they're books, novels about the West, that stuff still sells. People yeah. still watch those films. They still watch those shows. Americans, and especially people outside America, still love the Western. They do. Yeah. That's such a great question. And I, I think you, you hit on the answer already in a way. And that is that there's something about watching people in the setting of the West. Government is stripped away. Society and is sort of stripped away, right? Uh, laws and customs are stripped away in the West. And people are free to be natural in a certain sense. And I think it's that in that kind of setting, you see what people are naturally like. It reveals to us what human beings are like without the influence of laws telling us what to do or even social customs, right? And, it, and so it's in these settings that you see what freedom looks like. What do people do when they're free? Um, what do people do when they find their freedom threatened, right? In the absence of real government. The danger of the Western, of the West, right, reveals like fundamental things we expect of human beings, right? Courage. You really find opportunity. People reveal their character in these situations in the West where there's real danger, right? And they have to react in a certain way. They have to run or they have to fight. They have to stand and defend the right or, or tuck tail and run, right? So something about the setting of the West teaches us something about who we are as human beings and what's good about us and what's bad about us. That's fascinating. And I'm even thinking of like the way you said it, um, who we naturally are stripped of law and stripped of custom. You know, you think, for example, of the portrayal of women in Westerns. Right. Very often they're Eastern women who come West and by virtue of coming West, they sort of shed some of that finery and, and, and fanciness right. and they become tough. Uh, they become self-reliant. They, you know, they themselves will pick up a gun and shoot. They themselves will do all the kinds of things that if they were, you know, following social customs back in the East, they never would have done. That's a great point. And by the way, John Ford, the director, I think made a big point of that 
uh, in his films, especially the man who shot Liberty Valance. I think one of the real heroes in that film is, um, is a character named Haley, um, who is a, a woman who was raised in the West. She is a true Western woman and she is tough as nails. And uh, she's throughout the whole film. She's the one who stands up for right and wrong uh, pretty consistently and unfailingly. Uh, so she displays probably the most courage of any character in the whole film. So the West also reveals that kind of equality, right? When, when, we're, when we are free to be who we are by nature, there's a kind of equality that, that emerges. Um, and, and, um, and inequality in a certain sense, right? As Owen Wister pointed out. Uh, but we are free to rise to the level of being courageous and hardworking and industrious. But Jeff, you put it, I think, earlier the best. The West shows us hope. Uh, the situation by looking at what people are like in the West, we see people who are hopeful of a better future, of a better life. It just takes the hard work and the sacrifice to get there. So, so uh, it's striking to me though. One of the things that's uh, one of the strains that's always present in a Western, either off screen but kind of in the background, but may, often menacing, or sometimes in on screen as a character, rarely as a central character though, are American Indians. Mm -hmm. um, right. Tell us about their place and role in the American Western. That's a great question. Um, I'll speak mostly about John Ford again, since I know him best on the subject. Um, in John Ford's Westerns, Indians are often, American Indians are often portrayed in very stereotypical ways. And um, the reason for that, I think, is because the, the, Hollywood, the Hollywood producers, the big studio producers, right? That's what they want, and because that's what sold tickets. Uh, Americans wanted to go to the movie and see Indians in their war gear, painted a certain way with feathers and everything, attacking, and and that's what was expected. But it was a stereotype. And John Ford later in life um, apologized for that. He he felt as though he was sort of forced to do that. Um, if you want to see a great film told from the perspective of Native Americans and, 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 you know, Indians made by John Ford. There's a film, I think it's called Cheyenne Autumn, which is one of John Ford's last Westerns. And it is the story of uh, a forced migration of, uh, of, of a tribe of uh, Cheyenne Indians and their, uh, their resistance to being relocated. And that is told from the perspective of, of the Cheyenne. And so John Ford, um, that was sort of his way of saying, I acknowledge that in some of my earlier films, uh, Indians were portrayed in ways that were not realistic and stereotypical. But I also want to point this out. Uh, John Ford was beloved, beloved by a tribe of, um, of Navajo Indians. Uh, he filmed most of his great Westerns in Monument Valley, which is a beautiful backdrop. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and he employed um, and brought a lot of, therefore, a lot of... Um, opportunity to uh, to the to the tribes that lived in that area who, who were living in very poor conditions and he hired them used them in his films paid them really well and they adopted him john ford as an official member of the navajo tribe wow. and gave him a name i forget his name in in, the, in their language but it's basically broad shoulders or no tall tall shoulders or something like that so so he was officially adopted by this tribe of Navajo who, who just adored him and loved him. So that's fascinating. <laughs> so he understood he understood their ways very well, which is why it's interesting to see the way he portrayed them in his films was not necessarily realistic. But. All right, Chris, you're you're the expert on westerns. Our listeners <laughs> want to know 
I want to know top five Ooh. Western films, maybe books, but certainly films that we should see. Okay. Well, I mentioned the Virginian. I think that's the top Western uh, book of all time. So I'll leave that out and I'll just I'll focus on films. I would actually say The Searchers is the greatest Western of all time. And that's by John Ford. He, he was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock, by the way, for that film. And by the way, that film, if you watch it, you will immediately think Star Wars when you watch really? it. Yeah, George oh. Lucas was deeply influenced by John Ford and that film in particular, the scenery. He just, George Lucas ripped off a lot of that. Um, and so did Steven Spielberg, by the way. Uh, the Searchers, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, I would throw in another John Ford film called My Darling Clementine, which is a story of the battle at the OK Corral and Tombstone, which is like 99% historically inaccurate. And John Ford didn't care because he wasn't trying to give <laughs> us a historical account. He was telling a story about, about Wyatt Earp and what he thought would have happened. So uh, four, I would include another film, a, a film by Sam Peckinpah that I really think is great. It's called Ride the High Country. And this is before Peck and Paul became really pessimistic and sort of nihilistic about things. It is a wonderful film about friendship. So Chris, you've got those five. Any honorable mentions? Yeah, as an honorable mention, I would definitely mention the movie Shane, which I love. Uh, I saw that when I was a kid. It's a fantastic film about um, a gunslinger who's had a pretty rough past, sketchy past, done some questionable things as a, as a gunfighter. He tries to run from his past to give that life up, and he just can't run away from it. He, he just can't. People won't let him stop. But in the process of trying to overcome his past, he does the right thing and helping a local community of farmers stand up against uh, uh, these thugs. Um, so it's a wonderful story of an attempt at redemption. And even though the hero, Shane, can't quite overcome his past, he is, a, he is clearly a hero in the film. And I would, I would strongly recommend this for young people especially. Children should watch this film and they can learn a lot of great lessons about what it means to be good and decent and just and courageous and caring and be part of a community, so. Uh, terrific recommendation, thanks. And I've got to throw in one that's not that deep in terms of its sort of thought, but it's just a beautiful film and that's called Once Upon a Time in the West. And Henry Fonda, beautiful, Blue-eyed Henry Fonda plays the worst villain, maybe, of any Western ever. ever. Wow, and Henry he Fonda? Is, he is evil in that film, yeah. And he's got these piercing blue eyes as he's you know, sort of gunning people down. Um, but it's a beautiful film and just a, a really, it's a brutal story, but it's a really beautiful, uh, beautiful film. So, hmm. And uh, I strongly, like, strong warning ahead of time, because of, of sort of language, but uh, I think it was HBO did a series called Deadwood uh, a while back. And I love that series because that is like Western in the raw. I mean, what, I mean, it's brutal. Uh, and 1883, uh, Jeff, you and I've talked about 1883 before the, the, the series. Uh, that's similar to that in the sort of the brutality uh, of the West as it's revealed in these stories. But again, I love that series, but strongly warn you, if anybody's gonna watch that, just be prepared. Or don't watch it if you don't like the language, but it's it's pretty brutal. So, so but, the search, the searchers, man who shot Liberty Valance, my darling Clementine, ride the high country, once upon a time in the West. Yeah, 
Yeah. That's a good start. That's a good starting five. If you're oh, that's a great selection. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I've got something. Now I've got something to do. <laughs> There's your weekend right there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Chris, thank you so much. This has been absolutely terrific. Great, great chance to kind of dip our toes into this really interesting subject of the American Western and its meaning for our country. Chris Burkett, thank you so much for joining us on The American Idea. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to this episode of The American Idea. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. If you want to learn more or get involved in Ashbrook's vital work, visit our website, ashbrook.org.